This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Funding for Igeret Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We learned last week the difference between the angels and the Jewish soul, the souls. The souls come from the inner, breath comes from within, the breath of life, and then you have Hashem spoke, and the world came into being, including the angels. And also Hashem spoke, and the words created something else. By Adam, the breath, Hashem's breath, that the breath became his soul. His soul is the breath of Hashem. But nevertheless, the question is, we do find one of the ten utterances which God creates the world, God said there should be man, and there was man. So we see that man was also created through speech. You're saying that man is unique, Adam is unique that his soul comes from the inner breath of Hashem versus the angels and all the rest of creation comes from the heaven and the earth comes from Hashem's speech. We find in the Torah Hashem said there should be man and there was man. So man also comes from God's speech. So that's what he's going to explain now. That the soul originates in the inner aspects of Hashem. But nevertheless, the soul does descend into the body. So in order for the soul, to enable the soul to be invested in the body, so God had to speak and God had to command. God said there should be men. That is like commanding the soul to be able to enter into the body. Because the being in a body Man is on a lot lower level than the angels. The angels are superior to man. We depend on the angels. We need the angels. All our prayers are elevated through the angels. Angels are spiritual, pure energy, pure spirit. Angels accompany us. Angels elevate our thoughts, polish it, refine it and enable it to be elevated to soar. Because when the soul is in the body, then the soul, angels are superior to me. So how, do you, how does the soul, the soul which is the breath of Hashem, the breath of life from within, the inner part of the divine, in order for the soul to be able to descend and invest itself in the body, we're it's completely cut off from anything spiritual. 
You know, we have to struggle to identify with something spiritual. In the body, we identify with the material. We become invested in the body, we become defined by the body, and we become you know, materialistic. So how does the soul enable, enable to be able to invest itself in the body? So therefore God had to command by Hashem, God said, it's one of the ten utterances, God said there should be men. That the soul of man should enter the soul, which is the breath of Hashem, which comes from the inner divine essence, should be able to enter into the body. Okay, the, the second paragraph in 1040. Thus, the soul originated in the internal aspects of the life force and flow issuing from Hashem. It is only afterwards, in order to enable it to be vested within the body, that the soul descended to a more external level, as the Alta Rebbe now goes on to say. It then descended through even more concealing planes. Also, like the angels who were created by means of letters, by means of the letters that comprise the divine utterance, let us make man. In order that it could eventually be invested in the body in this inferior physical world, this then is the difference between souls and angels. Souls derived from the innermost aspect of godliness, the tetragrammaton, while angels are rooted in the external aspect of godliness. The divine name Elohim is now explained. So that's why in creation is God's name, Yudke Vavke, God's essential name. Okay. So he said, he started out the chapter that a Jew is Chelik Hashem Amay. A Jew is a piece of Hashem. A Jew has a piece of the divine inside of him. Chelik Hashem is God's name. We have the divine name inside of us. We have a piece of the divine name inside of us. Even as we are invested in the body, our soul is basically comprised of the divine name. Versus the angels, their life source comes from, as it says in the beginning of creation, in the beginning, bara Elohim, the name Elohim, which is the more external name of Hashem. That's why we find the name Elohim is used not only for God. Judges are called Elohim. The name Yudke Vavke is unique. It's reserved to God. It's God's essential name. It's His reserved name. Versus the name Elohim is the way God... God is role-playing. God is acting as a judge. God is role-playing. He's projecting himself. So that's external. Because all of creation is God speaks. When God speaks. Speech is external. God is projecting himself. Versus the name, Yudke Vavke, is God's reserved name. It's his essential name. His being. He is who he is. He is. God's essence. And, and all of creation is rooted in Elohim, in the God's external name. God's external aspect. The way God is role-playing, projecting himself outwardly. Versus the Jew, the Jewish soul comes from God's innermost aspect, inward aspect, Yud Kevav. For this reason, Scripture calls the angel Elohim. We find that the angels are called Elohim. The Torah refers to the angels by the name Elohim. Although God's name is Elohim, why are angels called Elohim? 
So there are different explanations given elsewhere. One explanation is that the angels, Elohim means strength. The angels have ability, they have strength, they have ability. They are the way through which God transmits all of his energy and his, his blessings and the divine flow. The angels are the transmitters. The angels are the uh, conduit. The angels are the, the uh, delivery boys. They, the post office, the divine post office. They deliver the packages. They deliver all the goods. They deliver all the blessings. And also they bring it back. They pick up also. They pick up and deliver. Round trip. <laughs> round, round trip, right. UPS. That depends. It depends how much you pay. If you pay more, you get the UPS. You get overnight service. <laughs> or you can take the fourth, uh, fourth class service. It depends how you pray, how you do the mitzvah. If it's a dead mitzvah, then the angels are a little lethargic. <laughs> then it's the, 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 uh, the United States Post Office. <laughs> you pay top dollar. It's, it's first class. And you get first class, and you, you pay express. So it all depends. What, but the angels are the, so to speak, they bring the prayers, they pick up, and they bring it down. That's what Yaakov saw in his image, the ladder, Jacob's ladder. The angels were going up and down the ladder. So, so the question is, why are they going up first? First they go up, and then they go down. Because they go up, they were bringing back, they were delivering the packages, they were bringing up Yaakov's service, elevating it at the heaven, and that causes the flow that back down. All the blessings come flowing back down. So depending on the, on, on what what you're, what they're picking up, depending on what the delivery is, that's how also the uh, the blessings will flow as well. So it's it's a two way it's a two way street. So that's one reason why the angels are called Elohim. Not that they're God. Angels are created beings. Angels are not, you can't pray to an angel, you're not allowed to, um, angels are just God's agents, yeah, messengers. But they are strength, just like you call a judge, a lukim. The judge decides. So a lukim, because of their strength. Another reason they're called a lukim is because, since they're God's emissaries, agents, and in Jewish law, in law, we have a concept that the agent represents, represents the principle. So the agent stands in the place of the principle. For example, when uh, last week's Torah portion, the end of last week's Torah portion, the angel called Abraham and said, don't slaughter Yitzchak. God told him to slaughter Yitzchak. The angel told him, don't slaughter Yitzchak. How can he, the angel is contravening God why did Abraham listen to the angel and not listen to God? Because the angel is God's agent. It's not the angel is speaking on his own. The angel came with a message from God. I represent God. So I'm telling you, it's not I. The angel is speaking in the name of Hashem. So he's called God only because he's representing God. He's God's agent. He's God's emissary. So therefore, he's speaking in the name of his principle. It's not the angel. The angel is nothing. The agent is not the agent. I'm not dealing with the agent. I'm dealing with the agent. I'm dealing with the principal. The agent is representing the principal. So that's, that's another explanation that's explained elsewhere why the angels are called Elohim. Here, the Alter Rebbe says no. The reason they're called Elohim is because since the angels are rooted in the name Elohim, in the beginning God created Elohim. God said there should be the heavens and all the host of the heavens, 
the heavenly hosts, which include the angels. So the angels are in touch with this level of godliness. They sense this level of godliness. And that's why they're angels. And that's why they're pure spirits. And that's why they're holy. And that's why they're nullified before God. The angels are like light of the sun. The light is connected to the sun. And the light knows everything it has is from the sun. And it's nothing other than everything, it's nothing other than the sun. And it's constantly connected to the sun, to its source. And its, its aspiration, its yearning is it wants to become part of the sun. So the angel, his whole being is that he's just a light from the sun. He's just created by Hashem. He senses his creator. The angel senses his creator. And the creator is active in him. And he knows that that's his being. His whole being, his whole essence is the divine speech. That's who he is. And the breath of the divine speech, which is even the internal aspect of of speech. So therefore, that becomes the name of the angel. That becomes the identity of the angel. What is his identity? The divine. Godliness. Godliness is not just something that's external to the angel. But the angel, this is his identity. His being is the divine inside of him. What's his whole being? He senses the divine. That's the difference between the angels and all the rest of creation. The rest of creation, even though God created everything with the name Elohim, Bereshit Bara Elohim, everything is created with the divine utterance. Everything is really the divine energy. There's nothing else but the divine. Our very substance is nothing other than the divine energy. But we don't sense it. There's like a disconnect. We completely don't feel and don't sense our creator. Our creator is completely hidden from us. That's the nature of the world. So much so, the name in Hebrew of the world, Olam, comes from the root, Helem, it's hidden. Our source is hidden. God is creating us, constantly creating us, is within us and all around us, and yet, we feel completely disconnected. Elohim has a numerical value of nature, at Teva, 86. It's a, teva in Hebrew means covered up. It's concealed. It's a complete cover-up. You look at the world, and it's silent doesn't speak it's, it's, it's not so innocent nature is not so innocent it's a complete cover up it's a conspiracy it's a con job it makes believe it pretends oh there's nothing like you look at the water and you don't see all you see is water you don't see how it's teeming with life it's been submerged underneath the water there's a whole universe of life and you don't see it you just see water it's very deceptive so nature this world is very deceptive Everything exists, and it's deceptive because all you sense and all you see is existence. Ego, I, you don't sense the divine. It's a complete cover-up. It's a conjure. Angels, however, are different. Angels sense their life force, sense the divinity, sense the divine, that that is their core, and that is the essence of their being. So much so that that becomes their name. They are called Elohim, which is God's name. How can you call a, a created being God when they're not God? Because they sense that the whole being is the divine. There's no cover-up. 
they are in touch. They consciously sense. So, so much so that this, the divine, so much so that this becomes their name. And that's the proof that the Rebbe brings. He's going to bring three verses that we see that the angels are called the name Elohim. As in the phrase, for the Lord, your God, is the God of yeah, God. In, in the, the third Torah reading in the book of Deuteronomy, in Akev, Moshe is telling the Jewish people that God, who is your God, the God of the Jews, is also the God of gods, and the master of masters. So, obviously, you can't say that Elohim means that they're masters, they're angels. When he says the God of gods, he means the God over the angels. You can't say he means the angels are called God because just like we call a judge by the name of Elohim because of the might and the strength of the angels, the mastery of the angels, because he says that in the next word. He's the God of gods and he's the master of masters. Why would the Torah repeat itself? If he's referring to angels, Elohim, referring to them as masters, and God is the God over the masters, he says that in the next word. And also you can say that they are called God because they are God's messengers. Here, here he's not discussing any mission that they're doing. He's just describing that God is the God over the angels. So it makes no sense to call them God when you're saying that God is the God over the angels. When you're speaking about the principle, not the agent, you don't, you don't call the agent. The principle is representing himself. And he is the God of all the gods. And yet he's calling them gods. Elohim. He's calling the angels God. In other words, they're not called Elohim, God, which is God's name, not because they're the agents of God, the representatives of God, not because they are masters, but that is their name. They are called by God's name. And why are they called by God's name? Because that is their being, that is their essence. They sense the divine. They sense that their very substance is godly. Their whole substance is nothing other than the divine energy, the divine speech, and God's breath of a speech that brings them into existence. They sense it to such an extent that that becomes their name. That's why angels are holy. Because they're completely transparent. They sense the divine. They sense the God. There's no cover-up. There's no concealment. So although they are created beings, and they are created through the divine speech, the name Elohim, but the name Elohim, that becomes their name. And then he brings a second verse. We say it every uh, Shabbos in the morning in Davening, Psalm 136, the 26th, we thank Hashem for His kindness, the 26 kindnesses that we enumerate. So right in the beginning he says, Say, thank you Hashem, because you're good. Thank you to Hashem, who is the God of gods, referring to the God of angels. And then we continue again. Thank you to God, who is the master of masters. So again, we can't be referring to angels who are referred to here as Elohim, because they are masters. Because you say that in the next verse. Thank you Hashem, to the master of masters. And here we're not talking about any agency. We're praising God, who is the master of Elohim. And nevertheless, the angels are called Elohim. By the divine name. 
So we see that that's their name. And then a third proof he brings. And in yet another reference to angels, the sons of God, Elohim, came to present themselves. Here, they're not coming on a mission. They're not, God didn't send them on a mission. On the contrary, the angels came to present themselves. Lysiatsev, to stand, to present themselves. We're talking about the angels the way they are themselves, not the way they are in the middle of a mission. They came to Lysiatsev to present themselves. And yet, how does the Torah refer to them? Refer to them? B'nei Olakim. Meaning, meaning, they're called Elokim, God's name. Divine, the divine, the Neholikim, the divine ones. Because why are they called divine? Because their whole essence is divine. And the Rebbe explains why does Alter Rebbe have to bring three verses? Why do you need one verse is enough? One proof is enough? <laughs> what, what do you, if one verse is not enough, why do I need three? It's just to reinforce. I mean, if you bring me one proof, I get the point already. He's bringing three proofs. Because we know you have the full gamut of angels. Maimonides says there are ten different levels of angels. But in general, you can break them down to three categories, the three different worlds, the three spiritual worlds. The highest spiritual world, the world of angels, is the world of creation, which is like the world of thought. The next world is the world of formation, which is the world of speech. And then the third world is the world of action, like action. So the world of angels, which are created beings, all created beings, all exist within one of these three worlds. Because beyond that, the world of emanation is already God's divine personality. That's beyond the created beings. But if you're talking about created beings and created souls, they are like... In, like within the person the thought, speech and action which are external to the person that's the beginning of the disconnect of the separation between God and what's outside of God so to speak so God thinks and God speaks and God acts those are the world of creation God's thought formation, God's speech and God's action so that's why he brings three different verses to teach us that the angels are all the way on the top, the top ten. The angels of the world of creation, which is God's speech, uh, God's thought, which thought is very internal, internal in comparison to speech, which is external. Even those angels are only called Elohim. They're not called by God's real name. God's name is reserved for God himself, Yudke Vavke. They're only called Elohim, which is God's external name. Because God's speech. And even the lowest angel, the lowest of the tenth, in the world of creation, or the world of action, which is the angels that interface with this world, the lowest level of angels, even they are called Elohim, even they are divine and holy, and they sense the divine, so much so that that becomes their name. That defines them. That characterizes them. They're called God's name because they sense the divine. They're completely nullified and completely humbled before the divine. They're called Elohim. And that's why the first verse, we find God's name three times. Look at the verse in the bottom of page 1040. Elokeichem, Elokei, Elokim. Three times Elokim. 
which refers to the, the third world, the highest world, the world of thought, the world of creation. The second verse, God's name is twice, Elikei Elikim. This is the second world, the world of speech, of formation. And then the last word, the last verse, the third verse, is the third world, God's name is mentioned once, Elohim. Because it's referring to the world of action, the lowest of all the worlds, which is our world of action. And so too, the first, word, the first verse begins, because God, your God. We're talking about, God, they're talking about the Jewish people, the, because we're talking about where the souls of the Jewish people rooted, in the highest world, in the world of thought in the world of creation, and even within thought, it's the highest level of thought. And he says, is also the God of the angels. So we're talking about the angels who are in the same world as the souls, the highest level of angels, which are in the, rooted in God's thought, which is the most innermost aspect of, of the worlds, which is the world, the place where the souls reside. Hashem Al-Kechem, God is your God, is also the God of the angels who are in that world, which is the highest form of angels. Pure intellect, pure... And then he goes to the next level, which is the God of gods, which is referring to the world of... He's talking about the emotional level, the world of formation is the emotional level, that's the world of angels, the God of angels. Primarily, that's the source of the world of angels, is the world of speech, of, of, of formation, that's the emotional world. And then comes the world of action, the Bnei Holakim, the children of Holakim, came, Lysiativ, to present themselves, which refers to the angels. Now, it's interesting. Although the Jewish soul is deeper and more profound then the soul than the angels. Souls are deeper than angels. Much more profound. Come from a deeper place. Not only come from a deeper place, but even when the soul is invested in the body, the soul is essentially God's name, the divine name, God's reserved name, personal name while the angels are only rooted in God's external name, Elohim. Nevertheless, the Jewish people are not called in God's name. You don't find anywhere a reference that the Jewish people, like the angels, we, we have three, three verses where the angels are called Elohim. If the Jewish soul is a piece of Hashem, God's reserved name, God's essential name, why aren't the Jewish people called any, anywhere by God's name? Since that's our essence. That's our very substance. That's our very being. And yet we are not called God's name. It says in the future, Mashiach will come, then we will be called by God's name. Just like the angels today are called Elohim, when Mashiach will come, the Jewish people will be called by God's name, which is Yudke Vav. Why only in the future? Why not today? The answer is simple. Because godliness is hidden. For us, godliness is hidden. That's why for us today, angels are superior to us. Because angels are overtly divine. Overtly godly. While we are overtly very human. Very down to earth. A little too earthy. 
consciously, overtly. We don't sense the divinity within us. It's not conscious. Therefore, you can't characterize us. You can't call us, define us, and use that. That's our name. That's who we are, that we are divine. It's hidden. It's our potential. Deep down, that's who we really are here and now. But it's still hidden. You can't call it a name. A name characterizes, defines something that's revealed, that's overt. It's not hidden. The angels are overtly divine and godly and spiritual and plugged in and connected. We are consciously and overtly not plugged in and connected. It's a struggle. So you can't call us by the divine name. Only when Mashiach will come. Mashiach will come when our divine essence will be completely revealed. Then the Jewish people will be called by the divine name. So much so that the angels will be in the back. It says and the Jews will be in the front. God will teach the Jews and then the angels will come begging and knocking on the door and say, what did God teach you? They won't be allowed in. And the Jew will teach the angels as well as the rest of the world, all the 70 nations of the world, will teach them the Torah. But the Jew has the inside track. But that will be revealed overtly only when Mashiach will come. Now it's hidden. Now we don't see it overtly and openly. Except through anti-Semitism, you see, <laughs> you see through overt, you see how they got our number. They know that we are divine and godly. So for the non-Jew, they got the Jew's number. <laughs> they know that a Jew is divine, whether he likes it or not, wants it or not, is aware of it or not, conscious of it or not. Anti-Semitism is not going away. Because the non-Jew knows that the Jew is different. There's something about the Jew, Jewish soul. We can pretend that soul doesn't matter, it doesn't make a difference, I'm Jewish, I'm not Jewish, what difference does it make? As long as we're all beautiful, as long as we all care for each other, as long as it's all the same. Not for a moment, not for a second. The non-Jew will never let us forget. The UN will never let us forget. Because it, the truth is, they see it, they see through it. Even in exile, in the darkest moments, they have that clarity. Hitler had that clarity. They all had that clarity. When it comes to Jews, they have that clarity. They see clearly there's something about the Jewish soul. And it doesn't matter if you intermarry. They didn't buy it for a second. But now it's hidden. Mashiach will come, then it will be overt. So the question is, if the whole point of this chapter is he's trying to bring out the superiority of the soul over the angel, that the soul is literally a piece of Hashem. We have a piece of Hashem's name inside of us, and that comprises who we are. Why is he pointing out the superiority of the angels? That the angels are called God's name. That, they, that they're... It's not just that the angels are called God's name, that's, and that characterizes them when it seems to be highlighting and emphasizing the superiority of the angels over the soul. The soul is not called Yudke Vavke. It's not called God's name. We don't call a person God's name. And yet the angels are called Elohim, God's name. Because that's their being and that's their substance. That's their essence. So why are we highlighting here 
talking about the great level of the angels, that the angels are so great and so spiritual and so tuned in and so plugged in that so much so that becomes their name because they embody the divine. Their whole being is nothing other than, than, the, than the, the divine. They sense the divine. That's what characterizes them. That's what they sense. That's their consciousness. But the Jew is not like that. We don't call a Jew in God's name. When the whole purpose of this chapter, the whole theme of this chapter is to bring out how the soul is literally a piece of the divine name. God's essential and reserved name. And the explanation is, he's not bringing this to talk about, highlight the greatness of the angel. He's bringing this to prove the point that he said, started earlier, the greatness of the soul. Because when he says that the angels are called by God's name, why are they called by God's name? He can't say because they're rooted in God's name. Because all of creation is created with God's name. Bereshit, Baralokim. In the beginning, God created everything, all the ten utterances, which includes everything, all created beings, down to the amoeba. Everything is created by, through the name Elohim. So everything should be called God's name. Yet we don't call everything God's name. Oh. The answer is, because it's hidden, therefore they're completely disconnected. You can't call a tree God's name. Because, yes, the tree is rooted in the name of Elohim, but you don't see it, you don't sense it. It's completely disconnected. Because the truth is, it's more so. We learned earlier in the second part of the Tanya, the truth is, all of creation comes from the name Yudke Vavke, Hashem's name. The name Yudke Vavke, the Hebrew, comes from the word Mahave, to create. God is constantly creating the world. It's the divine energy. God is constantly creating the world with the divine energy, which is, comes from the name Yudke Vavke, Hashem's essential name, His personal name. It's only that it's channeled through the name Elohim. It's like screened and channeled through the name Elohim, like the light that goes through the colored glasses, through the words and letters that differentiate the energy and, and define the energy and therefore uh, concentrate the energy in a way that allows, for, enables for all the particular and all the multiple created beings and the world as we know it. Which ultimately is all rooted in one reality. But this one reality, when it's channeled and filtered through words, suddenly it creates a whole diverse universe. Like a teacher. A brilliant teacher has a concept. The concept in the teacher's mind is one point. One brilliant point. But he can't communicate this brilliant point to his simple students. So he has to take this brilliant point and break it down into illustrations, explanations. And this one brilliant point could end up being an 18-volume to get this point across. The more brilliant it is, the more abstract it is, to get this point across, you need a whole bookshelf just to get this one point across with words and, and, and paragraphs and subjects and a whole thing. But really, it's all one point. From the teacher's point of view, there's only one point. So all of creation is rooted in the divine name which is really the unity, the absolute unity of God. There's only one point. 
But to get from that one point, and by communicating, to communicate that one point, to bring it down into words, into letters, and to, to screen it, and to concentrate it, and to channel this energy, by the time you bring it down into words and letters, suddenly you have, from 22 letters, you have infinite amount of print and words and knowledge and philosophy and all different subjects, all from one, all from one point. From a few musical notes, you have all the music that was ever made, which is infinite. But, but when you break it down, suddenly you get this differentiated, variegated, and multi, multiple world, m- multiplicity. So that's the name of Lokim. But ultimately, what's the energy behind it? What creates it all? It's really the, God's name, Yudke Vavke. That's the divine energy. But the divine energy is channeled through the name Elohim, the screen, and the words, and the letters, and therefore that creates the world as we know it. So why isn't every, everything, why aren't the angels called God's name? They are rooted, ultimately everything is rooted in God's name, God's essential name, Yudke Vavke, the unpronounceable name. And yet they're not called that. Why not? Because it's hidden. That they have no connection to. That infinite, unified light, that they are not connected to. They're only rooted in God's Elohim, in the name Elohim, in God's words and speech. God spoke and the world came into being. That's why they're not called Hashem Abayim. And that's also why nothing else besides the angels, no other creature is called Elohim. Only the angels. Because they don't even sense Elohim. They don't even sense that they come from God's speech. You look at a tree, you don't sense the source, the root and the source. There's really the divine speech and there's a speaker behind it. You look at a tree, I don't see anything. I just see a tree. I hug the tree and I see an environmental situation. I don't see, I don't see the speaker. I don't see Hashem. I don't see what's behind the tree. It's completely cut off and disconnected. God is completely concealed. So you can't even call it Elohim. What's unique about the angels are is that their level that they're rooted in, which is the name Elohim, God's speech, that level is they're conscious of that level. There's no cover-up. That they sense, that they feel, so much so that becomes their identity, that becomes their being, that becomes their substance, so much so that's what characterizes them and that's their name. The name that's given to them is Elohim, God's name. Because that's who they are. So this brings out the point that he's trying to make when he says that the Jewish soul is he quoted from the end of Deuteronomy the song of Azinu that a Jew is a piece of Hashem God's name. It's not only that the Jewish soul is rooted at the source in God's name. No. That even as the soul is enters into the body and even as the soul is in this world is invested in the body he remains a piece of the divine essence just like the angels they are called God's name not only because their root ultimately is from the name Melukim from the divine speech from the divine name but because as they are as they are in their being that becomes that's what characterizes them that becomes their name because that's their essence so too, the Jewish soul, even in the body, even in this physical world, in the here and now, that is who we are. 
our essence, our soul, is really the divine name. God's essential name, reserve name. So even superior to the angels. So yes, it's true. We're not called God's name. Because ultimately we're physical, we're in this physical world. And we're part of this world. And the soul was invested in the body. And as we said earlier, we started today, that God spoke there should be man because God had to send the soul, this divine soul. God had to send this divine soul into a human form. But nevertheless, essentially we remain divine. Unlike the rest of creation. The rest of creation is split off, is disconnected. The Jew is connected. That's the definition of a Jew. In other words, we're not, people make a mistake. People think that we are human beings who are trying to have Godly experiences. So what this chapter is telling us is no. We are essentially godly beings that are having human experiences. <laughs> it changes your whole perspective. It's not that we're essentially animals, human beings, <laughs> earthy beings, but we're trying to have some transcendence, some otherworldly, higher experiences, deeper experiences. No, no. It's all wrong. Our nature, our essence is godly. And we remain godly. Even in this world, as we go about our life, we wake up in the morning, we get dressed, and we go about our daily life, and we stand in the office, and we're going about our ordinary material life, our careers. We have to remember that essentially we are godly beings. And we're having human experiences. But it doesn't affect, it doesn't change our essence. We are a piece of Hashem's name, God's reserve name, His essential name. That is our, who we really are. Not only our core, our essence, that is who we are. That's who we are, period. Even if we're not conscious of it, but that's who we really are. So we are plugged in and we are connected. Whether we realize it or not, we are plugged in and we are connected. And that's why we have such an effect. Why do you think there's so much anti-Semitism? Makes no sense. Why should there be so much anti-Semitism? Why should Israel, the Jew of the world, be so maligned, attacked? It, it doesn't even make any sense. Logically, it makes no sense. The only reason is because we are so plugged in and we are so connected, even if we don't know it and we don't want it and we don't realize it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't change, it doesn't affect we are so plugged in that everything that we do touches the very core of the universe, affects the whole world. And the Goyim know it. And therefore they don't let us alone, and they never will let us alone. Until we get our act together. Because we are really the heart of the world, and really at the center of the world. And everything that we do, the smallest, simplest Jew, affects the whole universe. Not only it affects all 70 nations, all 7 billion people. Affects all the angels, the infinite angels. Affects the divine, Hashem Himself, because we have a piece of Hashem inside. Whether we sin or whether we do a mitzvah, we can tip the scale and plunge the world into hell, or we can tip the, you know, Jews invented communism, they almost destroyed half of the world, or we can tip the scale and 
elevate the world and illuminate the world and light up the world like the Rebbe did. Lit up the whole world. The whole world is in our hands. Every Jew is obligated to view himself and the whole world as being on an equal scale. By doing one single mitzvah, you tip the scale because we have the whole world in our hands. It's a fact. Not the, not the, the tzaddik, the one in a million. Every one of us. All 70,000 living on the Upper East Side. Every last one. Anyone born to a Jewish mother or converted halachically has the whole world in his hands. And the non-Jew knows it. And it's not going away. They're not going to let us go to sleep. And they're right. You have the whole world in your hands. Our welfare and well-being is, is dependent on you. So get your act together. Because until you do, we're all going to suffer. But you are the only ones who can get us out of this prison, out of this madhouse. So you're going to be, pretend to be like one of us and you think we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let you get away with it? Get to, you know, let you get away with murder? It's not going to happen. And we don't get it. We don't understand. But, but I'm more American than you are. I'm more English than you are. I was more German than the Germans. It doesn't work for us. That's what he's trying to bring from the angels. The angels, this is their name. Because they are plugged in. Their being is plugged in. They're consciously plugged in. So too, the Jew, we are plugged in. And we're so plugged in that even though we can't even be called by God's name, because we're not even conscious of it, but the fact remains we are plugged in and we are connected. While the rest of creation is disconnected and unplugged. And the mission of the Jew is to plug in the whole world. We have to plug it in. We have to take all the... Sometimes we need some extension cords. We have to bring Chabad houses all over. <laughs> and wire everyone. Just plug everyone in. Just connect the whole world. That's our mission. And we, we can do that. Because only someone who's plugged in can plug in the whole world. Do the angels deliver the souls? No. They can deliver messages to the souls. They can deliver... Divine, the divine blessings, the divine flow, but they, not the soul itself. The soul itself is directly from God. And how is it decided which soul goes into what being? Is there anything about that? That, that ultimately, ultimately God decides. Obviously, parents have some say. Um, but like we learned in chapter 2, even that is pretty limited. In other words, the end of chapter 2, and I would advise to go back to the lessons in Tanya.com, lecture 4 in chapter 2, a very powerful, powerful uh, piece of Tanya, that even parents who have the greatest impact on children, even that is limited. Because depending on the refinement of the parent at the time of conception, you know, obviously then they make the soul's transition smoother, and they give the souls the advantage of having a refined, like the soul enters into a refined environment, which makes life easier in the soul. That's why we go to the mikveh before, and that's why, you know, when the parents come together in love and in a holy context and marriage, and, you know, then you're giving the soul all the advantages that it will need to face all the challenges of life, versus if at the time of conception, the parents are completely coarse, um, then you give your child all the disadvantages. But 
nevertheless, even that's limited because many times we find that children are very simple people or even very wicked people turned out to be great souls, powerful souls, intense souls, deep souls. And there was no connection between them and their parents in a certain sense. Like, where did such a soul come from in such an unrefined, unrefined environment? I mean, look, look, look at Abraham and Rebecca. Look, look, look where they came from. And, you know, Sarah. And look, uh, look what depth of soul they had. So sometimes you find souls in the most unexpected places. Versus you have souls who grew up in very holy environments. Very mediocre souls. You know, they have all the refinement and have all the advantages of being born into holy parents and the holy environment and and then made the transition of the soul into this world. The soul was born like a, a, a cocoon and it felt very, very sheltered and shielded. But the soul itself maybe is a very superficial soul. They don't have any depth. They don't have any, any intensity. And they don't have any originality. And they don't have any strength. So ultimately, these things come directly from Hashem. Even parents, the effect that parents have on children, which is tremendous, it's the most powerful effect of anything, but even that's limited. Ultimately, Hashem decides which soul comes where. Sure. So, um, when you say with the refinement of the parents, does that come from the many times of reincarnation and the level that they've reached? Or... No, the refinement at the time of conception, the refinement of how they choose to live right now. You know, you know, if it's... Uh, so it's earthly refinement? Yeah, there's this refinement if, you know, if, if, they, if they're modest and there's love and there's purity and there's restraint and discipline and there's, it's done in a Jewish way, in a kosher way, then you're giving your child all the advantages um, versus if you don't, if it's just coarse and... That's why it says that the souls of a convert, where does the soul of a convert come from? Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes this, very powerful. He says the souls of a convert is because the parents, the non-Jewish parents at the time of conception must have had a holy thought. Must have thought about God and must have had such an intense love between them. It was something heavenly going on there. And therefore, they draw down a soul that had a spark, has a Jewish spark. Because any soul that really has a Jewish spark will find its way back home. Some most unexpected ways, you know. And the most strangest from left field. Because if there's a spark there, it'll find its way to holiness. Vice versa. He says, how is it possible a Jewish soul should convert to Christianity? Of course a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. But how, how does a Jew, or these self-hating Jews, sometimes you meet a Jew... So self-hating, and you wonder to yourself, like almost a Nazi, how is it possible? How can a Jew, a Jewish soul, how can a Jew descend to such a low level? He says, you know, because who knows what the parents were thinking at the time of conception? They must have been so crude and so coarse that they they just they just drew down a soul from, you know, they they just disadvantaged their soul and they. You know, they, they handicap the soul, and such a soul could end up 
in the worst places. So everything, everything is everything, That's how powerful the mikvah is. Going to the mikvah, the night of conception, everything is. You know, if parents knew the effect that they would have on their children, parents love their children to death. We would do anything to give our children all the advantages in the world. If we knew the power of that moment of conception, how it makes a difference for the rest of the life of the child, to be lines out the door to go to the mikvah. You know, it would be, it would be a whole different, whole different approach. How is the soul able to separate itself from our sin? even though it's in this physical world? That's a good question. Like the angels, they can't separate themselves from Hashem. The Zohar asks the same question. It says in the Torah, the nefesh soul that will sin. The Zohar says, it is in the beginning of Leviticus, the Zohar says, the correct way to read this is, you have to read it with a question mark. The nefesh kisechta, It's a big question mark. How can a soul sin? Mind you, nefesh, the Torah uses the word nefesh. We know there are five levels of the soul. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayichid. Nefesh is the lowest level of the soul. It's the interface of the soul with the body, thought, speech, and action. And even the lowest level of the soul, the Zohar says, nefesh kisechta. How can a soul sin? How is it possible? Since you're divine. Since your whole essence is divine. Since your whole being is divine. Since you're plugged in and connected, whether, whether you're aware of it or not, it doesn't matter. That's the reality. Not your, the root of your soul is connected. The root of everything in this world is connected. But here, not your root, here and now, in the body, while your soul is invested in the body, even the lowest level of the soul, the soul that interacts, interfaces with the body, is really a piece of the divine, the divine name, God's reserved name, God's essential name. Higher than the angels. Higher than the angels. How can a person sin? And it's a, it's a good question. There's no answer to this question. That's why, that's why sin, sin is a crime, is a, is a moment of insanity. That's why it says, the Talmud says, a person doesn't sin unless he has a moment of insanity. Because the truth is, how is it possible for us to sin? It's only a moment of insanity. If we were aware, we were in touch with who we really are deep down inside, who can sin? Could, could an animal jump into fire? How do you jump into fire? For a Jew to sin is jumping into fire. To tell a lie to sin is jumping in the fire. You never get used to it. Even though you've sinned for 50 years, it doesn't, doesn't become easier. You think it, it gets easier? Every time you put your hand in the fire, it's, you're jumping into the fire. It's, it's so unnatural. It's so contrary to your nature. But we have freedom of choice. People can, people can commit suicide. Sin is like committing suicide, spiritual suicide. How does a person... It goes against your nature. Your nature is you want to live. And yet, we have the freedom of choice that people who choose to... So it, it goes against your nature. It's contrary. Every fiber of your being, every bone in your body is screaming. Self-preservation, you want to live and you choose to commit suicide. Sinning is spiritual suicide. And it makes no sense. But it's only it's a moment of insanity. We plead insanity. That's why we, when we confess the sins, we hit our breast. We're saying it was a crime of passion. And that's why, by the, by the way... Whenever a Jew sins, the sin is not 100%. The moment we sin, we, we, we regret it. We don't sin 100%. There's always a part within us that immediately regrets it. Jews feel so guilty. The moment you sin, you don't feel good about it. You feel guilty. You know, you can try to drown out your conscience, but it doesn't work. 
deep down you don't feel good about it. It's a half-hearted sin. It's not wholehearted. You may delude yourself and convince yourself and make it a whole cause, but you, you don't fool anyone. The only one you're fooling is yourself. And there's no big deal to fool a fool. You're just fooling yourself. It's a foolishness, an act of folly. It's an act of foolishness. It makes absolutely no sense. It's absurd. For a Jew to sin is absolutely absurd. Because we're so plugged in and we're so connected, how can we sin? It's, it's, so the question is better than the answer. Because there's no answer. Best answer is not to sin. <laughs> let's, let's just finish here. The name Elohim is applied to angels because they derive their nurture from the external degree of godliness, which is merely the state of letters. Similarly, the name Elohim is an external state relative to the tetragrammaton, but the soul of man, deriving from the internal aspect of God, vivifying power, is a part of the tetragrammaton. The tetragrammaton indicates the innermost dimension of the life-giving power, which far transcends the state of letters. Okay, so we're going to stop over here for today. Um, next week we're going to learn, he's actually going to explain the breakdown, the four letters of God's name, God's reserve name, God's essential name, what each letter represents. <coughs> and since he says that every soul is literally a portion of the divine name, so we have these divine characteristics and attributes within our soul. Every Jewish soul has these four divine attributes within their soul. And that comprises, that's our makeup. That, that's our breakup. That's who we are. That is what we're made up of. That is our soul. So he's going to specifically go into and explain what the name Hashem means. What do you mean that our, our soul is the divine name? What does the, the divine name represent? What each letter represents? And how it parallels and corresponds to the four names and just to conclude, if you want to hear a story, a very powerful, beautiful story. <laughs> very powerful story. The Alter Rebbe once visited the stronghold of the Misnagdim, those who, the opponents, the opposition. The establishment was tremendously opposed to the Hasidim. And he visited Shklov, which after Vilna was like the stronghold of the Misnagdim, the bastion of the Misnagdim. And Alter Rebbe's disgust. Talmud and you know his brilliance just wowed the whole community and he blew them away. And then the Alter Rebbe said, he said, angels are external. In English we would call them fakers. Souls are genuine, are inward, are genuine. You know, like you say, the difference between a person who's a chitz and a person who's external, just for show very external oriented, there's a person who's genuine, substance, a real person. He says, souls are for real. Angels are external. After yeah, everybody made such a statement, blasphemous, how can you speak against angels like that? And you're putting down the angels and you're talking about that the Jew is, is the Jewish soul is a panimi, is, is genuine, versus the angels are fakers and external. The whole city was, was, was commotion. And Alter Rebbe let the commotion go on until everyone was like a pitch, pitch, you know, fever, feverish. Then Alter Rebbe says, okay, I'll prove it to you. 
prove it to you that I'm right. Because in last week's Torah portion, it says when the angels, the three angels came to visit Abraham, Abraham served them three tongue and butter. First the order was butter and then he served them the meat. And it says the angels ate. So what do you mean they ate? They're angels. They pretended to eat. They didn't really eat. They pretended. They were acting like people, so they pretended. It says when Moshe went to heaven for 40 days and 40 nights, three times, the angels don't eat. So it doesn't say that Moshe pretended not to eat. But he turned on the side and had a sandwich. It says Moshe didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. The angels didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. The angels don't eat. Moshe didn't eat. So he says, you see the difference in the soul and the, and the angel? The angels were fakers. They pretended. <laughs> they pretended to eat. <laughs> Moshe didn't pretend. I'm in heaven. In heaven we don't eat. So I'm not eating. And I eat the mattress and I'm not drinking. So that proves that an, a, a soul is superior to an angel. An angel is external. Because they're rooted in God's external so to speak, in God's speech, the most external aspect within God. The name Elohim, where God projects himself, God's external aspect. The Jew is rooted in God's reserved name for himself, his being, his essence. God's breath. And therefore, a Jew is for real, it's genuine. You can't fake it. There's nothing external about it. Everything about the Jew is real, genuine. Well, the angels, external. So he acted ex- like, like a person who's external. Faked it a little. Bluffed a little. Faked it a little. But a Jew is genuine. So this is, this is a theme that he's bringing out here, how the Jew, the Jewish soul, way superior to the angel. And the Jewish soul, even in this world, remains plugged in and, and connected. That's the definition of a Jew. A Jew is plugged in and connected. Everything that we do has such an effect, such an impact, both positive and negative. The fact that we can have such a negative impact is also because we're plugged in. Why do we have such an impact? When we do something good, it has an impact. And God forbid we do something negative, it also has a tremendous impact. Only because we're so plugged in. It's like when a stranger misbehaves. Does it bother you? When your child misbehaves, it cuts deep, it hurts you terribly because it's your child. It's an insider. It's different. Someone you don't care about, something, what do I care? So because you have to be plugged in to be able to do so much damage, to wreak so much havoc, to make so much mischief. So even when you sin, that's why it says, <laughs> that even a Jew sins, he's a Jew. So Hashem Shem to explain that even in the sin, you see that he's a Jew. Because the fact that he can sin creates such a mess and disturb the heavens and disturb the whole universe and create a scar and affect the whole universe, turn the whole world upside down. Only if you're plugged in could you make such a mess. So even in the sin, you see how Jewish they are and how connected they are and how divine they are. And that's why even a Jew who's been sinning for decades, 
you see that the Yetzirah pushes him so much, so strongly to continue to sin. So you see, even after sinning for decades, he hasn't lost any of his, he hasn't lost any of his essence. He's still a Jew. And that's why it's so important for the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, to make sure that Jew continues to sin. Because even after all those sins, he's still plugged in. And he can still do so much damage. And his sin has so much effect and impact. So, At what point does the Jew not become connected? Never. Only upon death. Right. Never. There's no point. Even though on the death, the soul, so the soul no continues to live. And then yeah, he, the, the Jew may have to go through reincarnation to continue his journey and to atone for the things that he's done. But, but the, uh, the, the, you never get disconnected. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. There's no such thing. For the Jew, that's not an option. Interesting. But they still couldn't figure it out with the problem. But when he writes Hebrew, it's perfect. Wow. How does it go in the word on missionaries? You said this so emphatically. Because they are objective. Don't forget, we're not objective about ourselves. So we don't see ourselves. It's easy to be objective about another person. We can't be objective about ourselves, but we can be brutally honest about other people. We can see straight through. So the Goyim are very objective about the Jew. They just see straight through all the camouflages and all the pretenses and all the artificial barriers and labels. Hey, who are you kidding? Ashkenazi, Svarji, Hasidic, religious, atheists. Reform, conservative, what's the next? It's all nonsense. You know, like, like uh, Woody Allen in this film, in the scene, you know. <laughs> he's about to intermarry in uh, Annie Hall, and he's, he goes to the Midwest to meet his in-laws, and they, and they see him, they picture him with a streimel <laughs> and a long beard and payas, you know. <laughs> Every Jew is a Hasidic Jew. It doesn't matter. You don't fool anyone for a moment. But... Um, he said about being plugged in, that the Jewish child reminds me of these, uh, these immigrants came to America and they, they became very rich. But they wanted their children not to have any of their disadvantages. They wanted them to speak a beautiful English and they felt uh, growing up in their house, they'll be handicapped with a broken accent. So they consulted with a professor at Harvard, professor in English. He said, the only, my only suggestion is you have to send your child to me, let him live with me for two years. You're not allowed to visit, not allowed to speak to him in two years. And by the time we're done, his problem will be solved. He'll speak like... Anyway, reluctantly, he was an eight-year-old kid. So they send him off to his college, to his professor, say goodbye to him. Two years later, the time is up. They rush to the house, they ring the bell, and the professor opens the door. He said, no, so how's our son doing? I ah, says, your son speaks our perfect English. <laughs> <laughs> this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.